Okay. So, Buddha Bear, remember the visualization? Yeah, with all the Buddha Bears. Yeah, all the bears who are Buddhas. All the Buddha Bear Buddhas in the space in front of you. And yourself surrounded by all the other bears and everybody else too. And we're going to lead all of them in taking refuge. So compassion is the wish for beings to be free of dukkha, all the different kinds of dukkha, and its causes, all the negative karma, and the karma that keeps us revolving in samsara. And that compassion gives us a lot of inner strength because we understand more how the world operates. We understand that we live together in a world with sentient beings who have been kind to us innumerable times, but who are also overwhelmed by afflictions and karma and thus do very horrible things that cause pain to themselves and others. So with compassion, we want all sentient beings to be alleviated from this dukkha. But we also know that it's going to take time, and we as one person cannot snap our fingers and control everybody else's behavior so that living beings stop harming each other. So the compassion gives us inner strength to be optimistic because we know that ignorance, the root cause of all these problems, can be eliminated. So we have that optimistic mind. But we are also realistic and know that just as we cannot get rid of our habitual negative actions, neither can other sentient beings. That it's a slow process And with compassion, we want to hang in there and benefit living beings as much as we can, as much as they are receptive to being benefited. So the mind of compassion does what it can to alleviate pain and misery. And when we can't do anything directly, then we dedicate merit, we say prayers, we do the taking and giving meditation 
to keep our mind involved and caring about the situation of living beings. And we use all of that to to spark, to enlarge, to um, make our own bodhicitta grow. So that our wish to, our aspiration, our determination to become a Buddha becomes very strong. So with that motivation, we'll share the Dharma tonight. Okay, so it's about 20 past four in Kiev now, a.m. And the mayor of Kiev said last night that it's going to be a difficult night because in yesterday morning, in Ukraine, uh, you know, the shelling and the tanks rolling in and so on continued from the north and the east and the south. And uh, the Russians reached the suburbs of Kiev. That was yesterday morning, their time. So... They were saying that the nighttime, because there's a lot of fighting and troop movement and so on that goes on at night, was going to be very difficult. So we don't know yet what's happened. Um, the U.S. government says that the Russians may uh, take it within a few days, the capital. I would be surprised if it's even a few days. It might even be now. But also the Ukrainians are very determined to defend themselves. There's a very strong wish on their part. They do not want to be part of Russia. What I found very touching is there were some... um This is in the relationship to the motivation that we just did. You know, that when we can do something directly, we we do that. So what directly, I mean, who's nobody can go in and make the fighting stop, that kind of direct. But uh, there was some, there were a lot of Russians actually who protested in the streets and many of them got arrested because you have to have an approved thing to protest about a certain topic. And certainly the government is not going to give you permission to protest their latest military move. But people did anyway, and many of them were arrested. What I found especially touching 
was some of the sports stars and, um, you know, the media stars, um, came out and spoke and said, this is wrong. We don't want war. We shouldn't be in there. So they were really, uh, risking a lot. One sports star, I forget what his sports was, maybe soccer. Anyway, he, you know, he got out there and he said, this is wrong. You know, we don't want war. We should not be in there. And one other, um, he was a rap star named Moron. Okay. So, you know, and yeah, it had a lot of X's and a lot of Y's and maybe it was moron. Yeah. So, but he had six sold out, um, concerts or said, what do do rock stars have? Do they have concerts? Yeah. Anyway, so he had six, all of them were sold out. He canceled all of them. Because he said, while people are suffering in Ukraine, how can I entertain you? And I, that was something very touching. Yeah. Especially for somebody who's a rap star. Yeah. When people there are suffering, how can I entertain you? So that's another example of a way to directly benefit as direct as you can in a situation like this. Okay. It's quite difficult. Um, yeah, because Russia clearly wants to topple the Ukraine government. They, I'm sure they would kills uh, Zelensky if they could get their hands on him and he uh, he and some of the higher ups in, in the government they made they posted a video and they said we are all here with you defending our country yeah so he hasn't up and fled I hope he's okay So, uh, you know, as we talk about uh, the Dharma this evening, you know, we can certainly apply it to what's going on there. And, uh, you know, because an invasion of one country into the other, um, I mean, that's certainly a manifestation of samsara, isn't it? Yeah, if there ever was one. And, uh, you know, not in the part of, of the government leaders. Um, I mean, wh- whatever government leader, whether it's ours or Putin or whoever, uh, you know, sends in troops with the purpose of taking over another land. It has no, um, they seem to have no awareness that this causes suffering to other people. 
the intention is so wrapped up with, I want this, that the awareness of how their action harmed, you know, harms others is gone. So in, in Russia, um, when you're conscripted in the army, you're supposed to have four months of training at least before you go into combat. That seems like an awful short time, but they're not allowed to send you into combat, combat before that. Anyway, of the 190,000 uh, troops that are lined up outside, about a third of them are in inside Ukraine now, um, some of them are new kids, young kids, 17, 18 years old, uh, who were told that they were going for training. They had only been in for two months, and they were told they were going there for training, and now they're finding themselves in combat. And there is an organization in Russia, I forget the exact names, but it's something to the effect of mom, moms want to know what's happening to their kids in the army. Yeah? <laughs> And their hotline is going crazy with moms calling and saying, where is my son? You know, is he alive? Is he dead? Where is he? You know, the mothers are just freaking out, you know. And then, uh, and then the, the, uh, men in Ukraine, uh, citizen in a state of emergency. If you're between 18 and 60, you're not allowed to leave. You're supposed to stay and help defend the country. So some people, they're taking their families to the border. Many people are going into Poland now, some into Mold Moldova and, and Romania. And they have to leave their wife and kids at the border and they go into, to like Poland or wherever. And the men have to turn back. And, you know, they're saying goodbye to their kids. They don't know, you know, is this kid going to grow up with a dad or without a dad? You know, they don't know when they're saying goodbye. And uh, they're handing out guns to everybody. You have to sign for a gun. They said it's not like America, where everybody can go get a gun. But the government wants everybody to have a gun to, uh, you know, to defend. So it's, you know, quite a difficult situation. And... You think, you know, how many people are in that situation because they want to be? I, I don't think very many. I think zero Ukrainians want to be there. How many of the young Russians? You know, Putin's trying to get them revved up with, you know, well, we're being attacked and are the very, existence of our country depends on stopping these Nazis, these, you know, these Nazis and these terrorists who are trying to destroy us. Now, how many people believe that? 
I suppose some do, but, uh, you know, because he has control of the press. So, but how many, you know, of these young boys are just in the military and it's like, huh, I don't want to be here. Yeah, what am I risking my life for? And it's for the the wish of one person who has a group of powerful people supporting him. You know? So I felt that kind of way um, when 9-11 happened. I thought, I don't want to be here. Yeah? If you people have grievances with the American government, and I can understand your grievances, and I can understand the American government thing. It's like, you guys go off to some deserted island and figure it out, but leave the rest of us out out of it. We don't want to be in the middle of this. Yeah, this is your, your conflict that you created. We don't want to be involved. And yet, by the force of our karma, we are there. You know? And even though you don't want to be. So it, it's really something to think about, you know, different actions we do. Um, you know, not only where, how, wh- as what will be reborn, but what we will experience, what our habitual habits are, and where we will live and what we will experience, you know, in our lives, living in certain places. Uh, so all of that is influenced by our past actions. So, speaking of karma, there was a question. Is karma created in every moment by the mental factor of intention in the mind of an ordinary sentient being? Okay. So, they say that in every cognition, there is the mental factor of karma, or the mental factor, I'm sorry, of intention. And that mental factor of intention is karma. So in one way, you can look at it and say, yes, karma is created every moment because that mental factor is there every moment. Okay. Does that mean that the karma that's being created is the karma that uh, all the karma all that karma uh, from that is the mental factor of intention is going to throw another lifetime? No. Is it going to be completing karma that will, uh, you know, fulfill like what we look at like and, you know, other kinds of traits that we have? Is it going to be powerful enough to do that? Yeah. Think about the karma. Do do you, what is your mind state like most of the day? Yeah. Are there times in your day 
when your mind is not thinking or doing about anything particular? What about when you're, you're asleep? Is the mental factor of karma or the mental factor of intention, is it there when you sleep? Our gross consciousnesses are all absorbed. You know, our senses are not functioning. I'm talking here not about dream, when the, the dream sleep, but the, uh, what's it called? No, REM is dream sleep. Um, you know, when you're, you're out. There's a particular name for that. You know, you're, you're, you're not dreaming. You are out. Okay. So I wonder, is the mental factor of intention present at that time? In, in dream, yeah, the mental factor of intention is going to be operating. Okay, but deep, deep sleep. Yeah, basically, duh. Um, yeah, when you're in a state of deep sleep, is that mental factor of karma functioning? And if it's functioning, yeah, how is it functioning? Okay, so that I have no answer to. I'm just bringing it up because I was thinking about it. Also, what is confusing if you say we're creating karma in every moment is the way we use the word karma, it means different things in different contexts, okay? Because often when we say you create karma, people are thinking of a complete karma with four parts complete. How many of our karmas have all four parts complete? Yeah, sometimes, uh, uh, because actually intention is just one. It's one-third of one of the four parts. Yeah. So, you know, do we have a lot of karma Karma is created where there's only one thing happening. Yeah, maybe there's no intention at all to do the action. But uh, you do something accidentally or your intention changes. Anyway, you know, there's so many varieties of karma. And... You know, the word karma, okay, it can mean the mental factor of intention, or it can refer to that. But we also say, oh, somebody had this happen due to karma. Now, when they say that, are they saying, uh, you know, that happened due to their mental factor? Yeah, usually they're thinking of some act, physical or verbal action that they did. Okay. And physical and verbal action are called karma, but they're actually, the, there's a mental factor of intention involved, but those two actions uh, are actually considered form. Okay. 
when we say, oh, they planted karma on their mind stream, we're actually referring to the seed of karma. But we use the word karma. Yeah. So the way the word karma is used, you know, what it actually means depends on the context. Yeah. So in that way, you know, if we're using it in, in that way, can we say that that there's karma created in every moment? Yeah. It, it becomes more difficult to say that. When you're in deep sleep, not dreaming. Yeah, I don't know if that mental factor is there. And certainly when we have different thoughts, yeah, there may be an intention because that mental factor is in all the consciousnesses. But is that going to produce a noticeable result? Maybe an itty-bitty, teeny-weeny result because the intention was not very strong. Okay. So some energy was created. Yeah, maybe I'm sure the Buddhas might be able to see if it has a result. But, uh, you know, do, do all those karmas bring results? That I, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Mental factor of intention is intention, is karma. So in that way, yes, there's karma. Yeah. But when we think of karma as something that's strong enough to produce a result, yeah, when we use the word karma in that way, are we creating that kind of karma all the time? No. On the other hand, it can be very helpful to think I have a mental uh, factor of intention. Even, you know, even our visual consciousness has a mental factor of intention. Yeah. Is that creating karma that will produce a result? You know, again... I don't, I'm not so sure. But, uh, you know, to think that we're creating karma all the time can, can be helpful in the sense of making us more aware of what's going on in our mind all the time. Yeah. And that never hurts. Yeah. But also, you don't want to, uh, interpret this to be, Oh God, what was I just thinking? Oh no. I just had one inevitable blip in my mind of oh, terrible. I better purification. You know. <laughs> uh, you know, you're gonna be prostrating or chanting Vajrasattva mantra nonstop. So we're on page one eighty six. Uh the top. Formative action and renewed existence are the same karma at different times. Okay, now look how the word karma is used there. Does it mean that it's the same intention at different times? No. There, karma doesn't, you know, it's not referring to a mental factor of intention, the word karma there. Okay. 
Yeah. So formative action and renewed existence are the same karma at different times. They differ in that formative action has not been activated by craving and clinging and is not immediately able to project another rebirth. Okay, so there we're referring to karma with the four, um, the four parts complete. Okay, and that karma, that action is not happening at that very moment, you know, because one of them happened way back at the second link. Yeah, and now we're in the, the tenth link, which may be uh, the same life or the next life or some other life past that. So when we say same, when we say same karma, it's not that, you know, it's, it's a duplicate image of, of something. Okay. It's something from the continuity, um, of the, the seed. You know, their karma is referring probably to the seed. So in terms of rebirth in the form and formless realms, a meditator must gradually prepare to attain the next higher meditative absorption of those realms. Okay. Um, so here when we're talking about for something to be the, the tenth link. Okay. So remember the tenth link is that karma when, uh, when we're talking about the, it, when it's like ready to bring that next rebirth, okay? So um, at that point, for somebody who is um, practicing in the meditative absorptions, yeah, you have to be at, um, at, at the point where you're ready to ta- attain the next highest absorption. Or it would seem to me you, you might be Ready, you, maybe you're going to be reborn in the same absorption as you have when, when you're a human being. Let me read that. Well, let's continue and we'll see. In terms of rebirth in the form and formless realms, a meditator must gradually prepare to attain the next higher meditative absorption of those realms. Each of the four dhyanas and the four formless absorptions have seven preparations. Okay. So the stages, which are the stages of contemplation that aid in attaining the next level of meditative absorption. So, you know, to get to that, if, if you want to, uh, be in the first dhyana, you have to go through the seven preparations beforehand, which help you to deepen your concentration when your concentration gets to the point where it's uh, suitable to be called the first dhyana or sufficient. You know, then you go into the actual first dhyana out of the preparations. Okay, we'll do this. This comes in volume four. Okay, so we'll get to it. So form realm renewed existence is the dhyana that a meditator has attained in this life that will bring rebirth in that specific dhyana in the next life. 
Okay, so it's not that when you die, you have to be ready to attain a new a new dhyana or a new meditative absorption. It's whatever one you're in this life, yeah, if you haven't lost that state, yeah, because you started selling real estate or doing something else, <laughs> you know, then when you die, you get, you know, reborn in, in that same dhyana. Formless realm renewed existence is the level of formless realm meditative absorption that a meditator has reached in this life that will prepare her to be reborn in that specific formless realm in the next life. So remember when we talked about karma or formative action, there were three kinds, meritorious, non-meritorious, and immutable or... um yeah, sometimes there's another term for it. And unfluctuating, yeah. So which and the unfluctuating or immutable ones are are the ones that are get you born in the in the uh four formless or or four form realm absorption or four formless absorptions. Okay. While tenth link renewed existence occurs while actively dying, in general, there are four types of renewed existence, each of them occurring under the control of afflictions and karma. So here, okay, you know, they're saying, yeah, here we just explained what tenth link renewed existence is. Now we're going to use the same term to talk about other kinds of things that we call re- call renewed existence that are not the tenth kind, the tenth link renewed existence. Okay, so this came up in a lot of the previous ones where you use that, you can use that word in a different way or the way it's divided, like the the three types of of craving, the four types of clinging, you know, that happen in different conditions. So here's another example of it. Okay. So, um, and what's, what's interesting is, uh, in, I think, Nyingma tradition, they call these the four bardos or the four intermediate states. Okay. So the first one is the renewed existence of birth. And that leads to the consciousness joining to the next birth under the control of afflictions and karma. Okay. So that is, at the moment you're taking rebirth, that's called that renewed existence or that intermediate stage of that moment of, of uh, rebirth. The second kind is the renewed existence of death is the last moment of this life. So the first one was the first moment of this life. Second one was the last moment of this life. Okay, the third one, the renewed existence of the bardo, occurs when the consciousness joins to the intermediate state under the control of afflictions and karma. So right after death, yeah, then uh, usually there's, a, usually but not always, there's an intermediate state. So that's called a renewed existence as well. At this time, one has a subtle body similar to the body of the next birth. Yeah, so they say that that body, uh, it's not a, a material body like this. Yeah, and 
it can go anywhere, everywhere, just by thinking of that place, it can go there, except into the womb or the egg or whatever it's going to be of the next life. It has to wait for all the conditions for that to come together before it goes in there. Yeah, but, uh, you know, some being in the bardo, I mean, they see all sorts of visions, all sorts of strange things. And if you think we're distracted now, you know, on the bardo, and, you know, you're just running around. Okay. can be a very frightening time, they say. The bardo lasts the maximum of seven weeks and is considered part of the next life. Yeah, so death is the end of this life. The next life starts with the first moment of bardo. Now, why is it seven weeks? Okay, so some of you have heard this before, some of you haven't. So this was one of the questions I asked His Holiness during the interviews. Okay, and his translator, uh, Geshe Lakdor, was was there. And so I presented His Holiness the question, and His Holiness paused, and then Lakdor said, uh, he was saying, he talked about it with some other people, and what they came up with was, you know, why 49 days? Yeah, Because 48 days was too few, and 50 days was too many. So that's why it's 49 days. Yeah. Uh-huh. And His Holiness cracked up laughing. Yeah. If it is um, 49 days, Venerable, then why are some tulkus uh, born like two years after their predecessor's death oh. or whatever? Well, they have control. If you have high realizations, you can control your rebirth. It doesn't mean that you're going to be reborn on this planet in your very next life. Okay? So uh, whether you're a tulku or whether you're an ordinary being, you could be reborn, you know, you can take birth somewhere else for a few years and then come back here. Yeah. Okay, so especially the people who have control of their rebirth, you know, then they may, maybe they go to a pure land for a while and then they take rebirth back here. And, you know, we may go to the, I don't know, hungry ghost realm for a while and then come back here. I mean, this is like one tiny speck in samsara, this planet Earth. To, so to think that, you know, all of our rebirths were going to be reborn here. And you look out, the universe is enormous. You know? Our karma can take us so many different places. Yeah. Okay, and then the fourth renewed existence is the renewed existence of the previous time. And that begins the moment after the link of birth, lasts during the lifetime, and ends at death. So here, previous means prior to the death of that life. So one renewed existence is the moment of birth. Yeah, this one, the renewed existence of the previous time, starts the moment after birth. It goes to the moment before death. 
Then the moment of death is the renewed existence of death. And the moment after that is the renewed existence of the bardo. And that lasts until the renewed existence of birth. Okay, so a few of them are pretty short. And the rest take a bit longer. So, uh, and by the way, the, the bardo, when we talk of it, it isn't always 49 days. There are some times when you just die from this life and immediately you're born, reborn in the next life. Um, sometimes, you know, it can be all sorts of time variables and they just say it happens within 49 days. But this is why very often uh, after somebody dies, we do prayers and practices for them for the entire 49 days, especially on the 7th day, 14th, 21st, 28th, and then the 25th day, okay? And you start counting the days with the day the person dies, yeah? We usually, when we count things, we start with the deck next day. Yeah, in Buddhist things, when they count the days, day one is the person is is the the day that the event happened. Okay, so if somebody dies on a Sunday, yeah, the seventh day is going to be a Saturday, and so then you would do um, you know prayers and practices on that Saturday, and then after that it would be the next Saturday and the next Saturday like that. So not only do ignorance and formative action bind us to samsara, so do the craving, clinging, and renewed existence that occur while actively dying. Okay, so that time, yeah, we are actively dying is very important, you know, because that's what, when the craving and the clinging comes, and those are what ripen you know, provide, they're the cooperative conditions that start to ripen that karma. So these last three, craving, clinging, renewed existence, force the consciousness to join to the next body. In this way, afflictions and karma tie the merely designated self to cyclic existence. Okay. Wherever consciousness goes, the self goes, because consciousness is the principal basis of designation of the self. Okay. Renewed existence afflicts transmigrating beings because it makes the resultant rebirth definitely occur. Yeah, because that karma is ripening. Now, there are certain things that can happen during the bardo, yeah, that perhaps can alter how that karma is ripening. But let's say you have the karma to be reborn. Somebody has the karma to be reborn as an animal, you know, and specifically a a dog, yeah. But it could happen within the bardo. Maybe somebody is doing prayers for them or some other condition changes, And now instead of being born as a dog, they will be born as a cat, okay? But they'll still be reborn in the same realm. So it could be like a different body, but still within the same realm. It can happen that once in a while, 
uh, a renewed a karma that is ripening in a certain realm, you know, is changed during the bardo, and that karma doesn't ripen. It becomes dormant again, but another karma ripens that could be in another realm. So that does happen once in a while, not so often. Okay. Yeah. Okay, now, renewed existence according to the Pali tradition. You know, people always want to do prayers and practices and so on when a dear one dies. Yeah. But during their lives, they don't, we often don't take care about what kind of karma we're getting our loved ones involved in. But when they die, then we're very concerned about what rebirth they're going to take. Okay. When somebody's, after they've died, yes, we can do prayers and practices. That has some effect. Yeah. But the better, better way, the best way to help our dear ones is while they're alive to help them create virtuous karma while they're alive and to help them avoid creating non-virtuous karma when they alive, when they're alive and not to involve them in activities that create non-virtue yeah and then you know like we quarrel you know i mean who who do we quarrel the most with the people that we're close to who do we say the most awful horrible things to the people we care about the most you know isn't it? We never talk the way to a stranger the way we talk to somebody we we care about. So we have a huge knockdown, drag out quarrel with somebody, yeah. And then maybe we win, or maybe they win. You know, whatever it is, both people create a lot of negative karma, yeah. And then I guess you make up, or maybe you don't. And then when you die, then all of a sudden you care about where that person's being reborn. But while you're screaming about them and having a quarrel and calling them names and insulting them or throwing things at them, and they're doing the same to you, you don't think at that time, you know, I'm helping this person be born in the lower realms. Yeah, but that's the time. If we really want to benefit those people, that's the time to benefit them and not get them involved in creating negative karma. Yeah. And to, to help them to create virtuous karma. Yeah. This is one thing I see, uh, you know, in, uh, Singapore and Malaysia and Indonesia is um, Kenru. You know, you really see it. Every time you're with Kenru, if one of his relatives is around, he gets that relative in to make offerings, to attend a Dharma teaching, to do some kind of virtue. You know, his parents are, you know, I mean, not particularly religious. But whenever I am in Penang, because that's where he's from, there's always a big Sangha Dana. His whole family comes. 
you know, these people will not go to the temple otherwise. Yeah. But to make an offering to the Sangha, they'll come. Yeah. And, and he gets them all there. And he's not the oldest member of the family. He's not the youngest one. But he just rounds them all up and says, you know, we're going to all go create good karma today. And, you know, and they make offerings like that. I mean, you've seen his folks on the, on the screen when, when we talk. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is, is the, the best way with our friends and our family to, to really encourage them to, to create virtue in this way. Yeah. And if you do that, then you don't have to worry so much when they die. Because yeah? you've really helped them in a, in a good way while they're alive. You know, and also with, with the people we care about, not to make them regret the virtuous karma they, they create. Because this can happen so easily. You know, you, you have a family, maybe one person is very generous and the other person not so much. You know, they want to use the money for the vacation. So one, one, person in the family gives the money to a charity or, you know, to, to something that's going to benefit sentient beings or, you know, something like that. And then the other person said, why did you give that money away? We wanted to go on vacation. Now we can't go on vacation. And makes the first person regret their generosity. You know, that is really negative because somebody, you know, did something virtuous and then you're making them regret their virtue, you know. And so that's, you're making them do something negative and then you're doing something negative too, okay. So to, to really be careful what we encourage other people to do. Now, it's, it's um, yeah, it's, it's important karmically. Okay, so now renewed existence according to the Pali tradition. So in the Pali tradition also, renewed existence is the name of the result being given to the cause. So we talked about that last time. Okay, I planted a tree. No, you actually plant a tree, but you give the name of the... Uh, you actually planted a seed, but you gave an, the name of the resultant tree to the cause, the seed. Okay. The path of purification distinguishes two aspects of renewed existence. These are the same karma in different stages of ripening. Okay. Sound familiar? But listen how they're uh, spoken of. So the first is called karmically active renewed existence. And that is the intention and the mental factor of covetousness and so forth conjoined with those intentions. Okay, so you have an intention and then you have the mental factor of maybe covetousness or malice or wrong views. So the formative karma of meritorious, demeritorious, and invariable karma linked to is a condition giving rise to karmically active renewed existence. Okay, which is the karma that 
as a condition for the next life, is ready to bring that new rebirth. So it is of three types corresponding to the three realms. It's of a formative, a renewed existence of the desire realm, form realm, or formless realms. So that paragraph is not totally clear, is it? Let's read it again. Karmically active renewed existence is intention and the mental factor of covetousness and so forth that are conjoined with that intention. Okay, so in every cognition... One of the five uh, omnipresent mental factors is intention. And then you can have other mental factors that are virtuous or non-virtuous because the mental, the mental factor of intention is neither virtuous nor non-virtuous alone. Okay? Just having that mental intention. You have to have another mental factor, let's say, that is virtuous. You know, your mind wants to give something away. Yeah. So that is the one that makes that, men- that mental factor virtuous, that mental factor of consciousness virtuous, as well as the whole cognition, everything in it becomes virtuous. Or if you have a, uh, you have the mental factor of intention, but then you have uh, another mental factor of uh, resentment, then that makes this one negative as well as the all the other things in that consciousness negative. Okay? So the formative karma of, of meritorious, demeritorious, and invariable karma, the second link, yeah, so that's talking about the karma when it's the second link, is a condition giving rise to karmically active renewed existence, which is the karma that, as a condition for the next life, is ready to bring that new rebirth. So what it's really saying is what we heard before, is that, you know, the, the, uh, the karma at the beginning, link two, is going to be the cause for the re- the karma when it's ripening at link 10. Okay. So non-virtuous actions are desire realm renewed existence. Yeah. Because in the upper realms, um, because you've suppressed the uh, the afflictions, some of the afflictions, not all of them, you've... Uh, um, suppress those afflictions because you have to do it in order to deepen your concentration to be able to stay single-pointedly you know if you have a lot of attachment anger resentment pride jealousy those mental factors going you know having a good time in your mind you're not going to be born in in the first dhyana or in in any absorption because you you know you haven't attained at least even serenity at that point. Okay. So the negative uh, karmas are all created in the desire realm. So non-virtuous actions are desire realm renewed existence and lead to unfortunate rebirths as hell beings, hungry ghosts, and animals. 
Okay, so those karmas are created when you're in the desire realm and you are reborn in the desire realm. Yeah. Mundane virtuous actions, such as the ten virtues, are also desire realm renewed existence, but they bring rebirth as human beings and devas. So again, you're reborn in the desire realm, but this time in a fortunate rebirth as a human being or as one of the kinds of devas. Okay. Form realm renewed existence is any of the dhyanas that people have attained, mastered, and continued until the time of death. Okay, so you could be born, you could be, have the body of a human being, but when you have deepened your concentration, let's say, so you get to the second dhyana, then you, your sphere of consciousness is second dhyana, even though your body is desire realm, and you're still one, one person, okay? It isn't like, uh, yeah, you lost your mind and you got another mind or something, you know? Okay. They usually call it that, the sphere of consciousness that, that, uh, that you have. Okay. So the form realm renewed existence is any of the dhyanas that people have attained, mastered, and continued until the time of death. Formless realm renewed existence is any of the formless realm absorptions that are attained, masters, and pre- mastered, and preserved until death. Form and formless realm rebirth last for eons. Okay. So you get really zoned out in these. Yeah. Although in the form realm, they're not always in, in meditation. You know, they, they have form realm bodies and, you know, they interact with each other and they talk and they, you know, I mean, because uh, Brahma, Indra, all these gods, like the ones who requested the Buddha to teach, they're all from the form realm. The formless realm, they're, they're gone. You know, you can't get through to them. It's, they're too deep in their meditation. Okay. But when the karma of those rebirths in form and formless realm is exhausted, those beings take rebirth in less favorable circumstances. So you're, you know, you're a human being, let's say. You create the karma to be reborn in the third dhyana. You're born there. You have that rebirth, and it's great as long as that karma's there. When that karma finishes, then, you know, usually you go down. Circumrimache, when uh, the previous circumrimache, when they took him the t- to the top, of the Eiffel Tower in Paris, he looked around and he looked down and he said, this is like being reborn in the form and formless realms. You get to the top and the only place to go after that is down, you know? So it really shows you that uh, those realms are a nice break, but they're, in the end, they're not going to do you any good. Yeah. It's like being queen for a day. You got your washing machine. And, <laughs> and after that, 
you have to figure out how it works and fix it and everything else. Yeah, it's only one day. <laughs> yeah. Some clarification. So you can use those different realms to gain these deep absorptions, using them to help realize emptiness, to do and bodhicitta. But at the time of death, you don't want to be in that mind. You want to be in the mind of bodhicitta or yeah. something. Well, if let's say you're a human being, yeah. Now, if if um, yeah, let because it's great. I mean, if you're going to make your bodhicitta really stable, you want to have one of those absorptions. But when your absorption, what is the object of your absorption? Yeah. It isn't nothingness. I'm talking about the form realm absorptions now. You could be absorbed in bodhicitta. Okay? Because every mind, you know, you have an object that you gained, that, you know, that you use as your object of meditation. So, you know, uh, you can, or you can gain your, um, you can gain serenity, let's say, with the object of, uh, the Buddha, yeah, and then when you're meditating in your different dharma, uh, your meditative sessions, you apply that that same level of concentration for both when you're meditating on bodhicitta, when you're meditating on emptiness or renunciation or whatever. Okay, so you're ensuring yourself that you're not going to get born into these formless realms for eons and then go into a lower realm by using the object as an object that's going to propel you to... Right. Uh, yeah. Because as a Dharma practitioner, why do you want to gain those states? Right. They're not the end. They're not the end of it all. Right. They're a, a tool. They're a tool. You want to gain those states because they really help you in your meditation practice to develop the realizations of the path. When the non-Buddhists develop these states, yeah, they don't have in mind, oh, I want to develop this deep concentration for bodhicitta or, or whatever. It's, uh, you know, um, it's, I want to experience those states or they, they, you know, don't, they mistake those states for liberation. Okay. But if you've, you know, received teachings beforehand and you can tell in your mind what, what you're, what you're meditating on, you know, I mean, if you're meditating on bodhicitta, you better know you're meditating on bodhicitta, you know. Otherwise, like, you're like the cows in the street, you know. I mean, we say holy cow, but that doesn't, you know. Okay. Yeah. So that that's the the point that that all these uh, levels of meditation, meditative absorption, Buddhists do for the purpose of realizing different aspects of the path. Yeah. That you may do them, you know, just for a while to experience that bliss, to relax. You know, that's the way it appears a little bit in the Pali canon a little bit, but then you're supposed to, you really use them for, uh, you know, whatever you're trying to gain realizations of the path. Okay. Okay, then the resultant rebirth, uh, n renewed existence. This is the, the second one. 
Okay. So that is the four or five aggregates subject to clinging and projected by karma. So those are the aggregates in your next life. Yeah. So this is the moment of rebirth. Yeah. As well as the entire existence in which we experience the many diverse results of our previous actions. Now in the Sanskrit tradition, yeah, the tenth, uh, renewed, uh, tenth link renewed existence was the karma right before you took birth. Yeah. Here, the Pali explanation, it's the moment you take birth plus the rest of, of that lifetime. Okay. So birth is the beginning of resultant rebirth existence. Aging is the continuation of that existence. And death is the end of that particular resultant rebirth existence. Okay. So during the time of the resultant rebirth existence, we sentient beings, through our choices, so this is after you've been reborn, you're going about your daily business, through our choices and decisions and the actions that express them, we create many new karmas that will lead to future rebirths in samsara. Although these choices and decisions are influenced, influenced by our previous actions, they are not completely determined by them. We have the freedom to make responsible choices and to either nourish or counteract our tendencies towards various intentions. So this is a very important point. Yeah, some people, when they hear karma, they think fate, predestination. That's not the meaning of karma at all. Okay? You create karma, it influences. Yeah? But then, it's not just that one little karma that makes everything in a next rebirth happen. You know, you have many different causes and conditions coming together so that that karma ripens. And then during the life, you have all sorts of different karmas that are ripening that influence the things that you, that happen to you and where you live and what do you, what you experience and so on. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of karma, karmic things going on while we're alive. Yeah. I think that's why they say only a Buddha, you know, can really track it all because it's, it's so complex. In short, karmically active renewed existence is the causal karmic energy that projects a rebirth and the resultant rebirth existence is the resultant rebirth that is attained. Okay. Now, before we get to the reflection, very often they, um, in the, in the Tibetan tradition, they, there's, uh, I don't know what the Sanskrit word is. It must be upadana. Yeah. They say that the, the person appropriates the aggregates for the next life. Yeah. In the Pali tradition, they translate it as the uh, 
Well, the, the Tibetans will say the appropriated aggregates that you take for the next life. The Pali tradition, they translate it as the clung to aggregates that you take for the next life. I think the translation of clung to is much better, okay? Because it's emphasizing that when we are reborning, we cling to those aggregates. So if why when it says four or five aggregates, four aggregates is if you're reborn in the formless realm. There you don't have a, a gross physical form. All the other ones you have five aggregates. Okay? But you cling to those aggregates. I don't want to separate from them. They're the, you know, I would say, you know, one of the if not thee, then the second most object of our clinging. Okay. Why I don't like how they use, you know, the self appropriates the aggregates is to me, okay, I don't know about you, but I get the image of here's the self and the self appropriates this and says, this is mine. As if there's a self that is somehow out there that, you know, wants the aggregates, is looking around, and, oh, I'll appropriate those, and then takes them. That's not the way it is, okay? Because the aggregates are the basis of designation of the person. So the per- you don't have a person out here clinging for its basis of designation because the person doesn't exist, you know, unless you designate I or person, you know, on independence on those aggregates. Okay, so don't get the idea that when they when you hear uh, in the Tibetan translation they appropriate the ag- the aggregates. Uh uh-uh. uh. You know, it's like you're, there's clinging in the mind. You're born with those aggregates, you know, then there's a person that's the basis of designation and you cling to that basis of designation, the aggregates. Okay. Uh, okay. It's time to stop. Maybe one, possibly two questions. There are any, yeah. So just before death, when craving and clinging is going on, uh-huh. is that what selects what projected karma will be? Yeah, it's the one that makes the karma, some karmic seed ripen. And so that tone of the mind, what's going on in the mind at that very point yeah. Is what makes that selection. Yeah. That's why it's very important to try and die with a virtuous mind. Because oh, at the time of death, that's you have the seed planted in the field right. of the mind. Now you're watering it. You're fertilizing it. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's why... And we basically die the way we live. So if, as a human being, we try and cultivate a virtuous mind as much as possible, then hopefully by the force of habit, if nothing else, 
a virtuous mind will arise as we're actively dying that will nourish a virtuous karma seed of you know karmic seed that will ripen in a good rebirth it's uh daunting to think about because we're not at our strongest point at that point our mind is crazy yeah crazier yes yes Be- you know it's a, death is a very confusing time because your body's all wacko i mean look how we are we, we get a cold or the flu and we go totally wacko we can't compl- control our mind you get a fever and you get you know the mind gets delirious you know sometimes it's even the body doesn't have to go wacko to make the mind go wacko it's, it's like you know you get mad at somebody and then all of a sudden i mean what happened to your mind you're raging yeah so this is another uh reason to to cultivate mindfulness and introspective awareness while we're alive you know and then you know in the eight verses of of thought transformation you know when it says whenever i can never recall the verses you know whenever uh, something arises uh that threatens my own what's the third verse what is it i know it by heart i can't and all actions i will examine my mind and then this i will immediately Really confront and avert it. Okay, so that so this is why you see that verse is so important. Okay, so we notice it, then we have to confront and avert it. We don't sit there and like, yeah, that person really did offend me. Yeah, why did they do that again? They offend offend everybody, you know, and then we're off and running. Is there any way of no well in the in uh, corresponding with the absorptions like if you're with somebody where in that process is there a place you can say that it's most important to to um try to help the virtuous mind arise or like when is it too the, late the whole time like for myself when is it too late the whole, when it's too late <laughs> as soon late. as you see the white right yeah Okay. Yeah. So, you know, why why I mean the best time to help them is while they're alive. Then when they're dying, you know, the more consciousness they have, then you want to really use that. Is it better to notice patterns and purify those in relation to karma rather than periodic episodes? Yeah, I think well it depends, okay? on what the patterns are and what the periodic episodes are if the periodic episodes are very intense you know really destructive karma then you want to work first on those but if if it's not that then work on the patterns yeah because doing something repeatedly makes it stronger how would you classify someone who has died but still hangs around as a ghost they would be in the uh, the preta realm usually it's not so much a question but i was just going to share when you were asking about the deep is this on? deep sleep deep sleep is this can mm-hmm. you hear me yeah this on um so i'm just reading um, my notes um from a book that alan wallace wrote on mm-hmm. dreaming 
And he said, you know, when you're under anesthesia, when you fainted, when you're comatose or you're in deep sleep, not dreaming, that the mental consciousness goes dormant. Uh, we're not mm -hmm. able to know or make manifest. So the coarse mind dissolves into the substrate consciousness. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But then, so the, the, the consciousness is latent at that moment. But is there still the mental factor of karma, of intention at that moment? Yeah. It seems to me that probably not, but maybe. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, if there is, it, it's not going to do much because you're out. Uh -huh. Okay, let's dedicate. <laughs> 